We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're starting and we're ready to rock and roll and a lot of a lot of positive energy obviously around the program right now coming out of the game i've had some phone conversations this weekend and people are fired up people are fired up because they realize how big of a win this is and it was a big win for notre dame and it's not just a big win from the standpoint of you know just that you won the game against a really good team but it's also a big win because of how you won and the manner in which you won, which was a completely dominant football game. So I'm excited about uh, about what's going on right now. Bye week is going to be fun and interesting. We're going to do it upon further review tonight at eight o'clock. Uh, Vince and I are going to dive into the film, show some things that we really liked. We're going to uh, break down what made the defensive game plan so effective. We'll talk about some of the things we liked on offense, some of the missed opportunities that were there on offense, and then we'll dive into the keys, uh, you know, the, the the keys to victory for Notre Dame. So uh, great, great win. But today, today, we're going to give you guys a chance to d- determine what you want to talk about. We've already got over 40 questions starred, and that's kind of wanted to, uh, to, to let it play out a little bit so we get some more questions in there because once the show starts, when I'm doing a solo show, it's uh, a lot more challenging to read questions, answer questions, and then also be reading the chat and finding new questions. So um, for those of you that, that understand that and waited patiently, thank you for that. And now we're ready to get started. A lot of good questions this week. I'm going to try to get through all of them, or at least as much as I can today. Um, really looking forward to to diving into these questions with you guys because there's a lot of really good ones. We can talk Notre Dame. We can talk Notre Dame recruiting. We can talk the upcoming schedule. We can talk college football in general. So if you guys have some other co- questions that you have, and there are some of those in there too, which I'm looking forward to getting to. It's going to be a fun day. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let's start off with God, country, Notre Dame, a barbecue. Ask, what are some offensive adjustments you are expecting Notre Dame to make coming out of the bye week? Well, I don't know that I have any clue what to expect from this Notre Dame offensive staff. And and the reason I say that is not meant to take a shot at them. I've voiced my frustrations in areas that I disagree with what the staff is doing, as I'll always do. But the the, the more so what I'm saying is this is still a new staff together. Right. And I know Dylan McCullough has been here for now his second year and Jared Parker's in his second year and Chancey Stuckey's in his second year. But there's some new analysts on the staff. You've got a new O-line coach. you got a new quarterbacks coach. Jared Parker's in a different role. And, and it's kind of like when we talked last week about with Coach Freeman and, and how was he going to handle getting the team ready to play against USC? You know, because we are in year two, we're still learning things about him as a head coach. Well, we learned a very impressive lesson this weekend when it came to coach Freeman's ability to get the staff ready, you know, we're still learning about this offensive staff. And the reason that I don't, you know, I answered the question that I don't know is because the bye week is when you do a, you should anyway, do your most heavy self scouting. And it's very, it can be very challenging to do a deep thorough self scouting evaluation of yourself during the season because by Sunday night you're done breaking down the film and it's turning on to your your next opponent and it can be challenging so there's always self-scouting that goes into the season but the bye week is when you can really really dive into those things and really um you know really dive into just who you are and and where you are as a program and then also then spend the time making those adjustments because that's the other part is when you do self-scouting, sometimes you say, hey, look, we've got to make adjustments here. And it can take a few extra practices to kind of work on some of those new concepts. So that's why I don't 
have the answer. I'll, I'll give you what, what I think should happen and what I hope to happen. And so I'll answer it that way. Number one is they've got to figure out what the receiver rotation is going to look like. There's been a lot of kind of grab bag and mixing and matching. You know, you don't play Jordan phase on the entire year. Then you bring him in immediately turn him into like a heavy rotation guy. You know, you, you play Tobias Merriweather a lot. Then all of a sudden he's not playing at all. Jaden Greathouse is playing slot all year, comes back from the injury. Now he's playing boundary and outside. So there's been a lot of under, and I'm not even criticizing it. It's an observation. There's been a lot of moving guys around. Jaden Thomas has been in and out of the lineup the last few weeks because of an injury. So it's been very hard for the staff to kind of get into a, a good feel and a good rotation for, for how is this going to go? And then Sam Hartman trying to get on the same page with all these receivers. These aren't excuses. They should be better, but it's just explaining the challenge that's up against them. So I think this bye week needs to really kind of sit down and say, okay, who are we going to play and how do we use them? And the other thing they need to do is if you're going to use guys, you can't have guys in there that are tells for the other team. Meaning when this guy's in here, we have a heavy, we're throwing to him type of thing, or we're going to throw in general type of thing, or we're never going to throw to this guy because the way that the outside receivers are being used, for example, in the lack of targets, is this team start to study Notre Dame more and more of this new rotation then you're going to see them start to adjust their coverages to force the ball back outside where Notre Dame is clearly not comfortable or not uh, wanting to go with the football. And so you're going to have to figure that out. Who's going to play where, how much, and how can we use all of our weapons uh, to our advantage? And so uh, those are things I hope that we'll see. There's got to be a lot of time spent on getting that group on the same page, there needs to be, you know, a lot of time spent in the film room with Sam Hartman and the young receivers. There's got to be extra time spent on the practice field on top of making sure that you're getting your rest. And so uh, I would expect Notre Dame to kind of practice these first three days, maybe four days, and then give them the re- the weekend off and then kind of get back at it on Monday as they get ready for Pitt. Uh, and since it is a home game, that adds a little bit to your ability to kind of give them a little bit extra time off and, and get back on track on what you're trying to do. So those are things that I expect uh, to see from the pass game wise, run game wise and offensive line wise. It's about getting everybody on the same page. That's, that's going to be the key. It's about, okay, where, where are we having some issues? Why has the run game not been good in recent games? And, and it hasn't been, it wasn't bad against USC, but the reality is it, it wasn't great either. And, and you didn't gash a team that honestly doesn't have a very good run defense. And so the last four weeks, Notre Dame has run for 176 yards against Ohio State. Good performance, but 4.5 per carry. Solid. Uh, you went for 159 against Duke, 5.0 per carry. Now, again, yeah, I think some of that was quarterback scramble. So the run game wasn't great. You did have the big 30-yard touchdown run at the end, which was, was great. But up until that point in time, you ran for 159 yards, and what am I doing? Them? 47 of it came on the last two plays of the game. And so you didn't run the ball well against them, only 44 yards against Louisville, and then only 125 yards for uh, 4.3 yards per carry against USC, which is a, a, a tad misleading of a number uh, simply because part of those statistics, uh, when you look at the total rush yards, is, uh, is going to be taking a knee. So Notre Dame lost four yards at the end of the game, taking a knee. So really the numbers are 27 carries for 129 yards, 
which is a better number and and kind of takes into greater account and that's 4.8 yards per carry that's a better number uh, it also takes into account the fact that you had a one yard touchdown run in the game actually had two one yard touchdown runs in the game so audrick estimate had a uh Let's see, excuse me, two-yard touchdown run and a one-yard touchdown run. So, for example, Audric Estime finished with 95 yards on 22 carries. You take out the two touchdown runs, it's 93 yards on 20 carries. All of a sudden, he's at four, seven yards per carry instead of four, three. So just some context, and when you have short fields, it's going to limit some of that a little bit as well. But even with the context, it was not a strong rushing performance. And they've got to figure out why. What what are the things that are lacking right now from the run game? What are we doing? What can we do scheme wise to maybe get back on track? What are some things we're maybe doing practice wise? It's not giving us a chance to really be rolling and be on the same page uh, when they when they kind of get you know kind of get into the game week and get into the games and and those type of things. And I also think there need to be some protection issues. And so those are more of the bigger picture things that you need to evaluate and then say, Hey, this is what we need to do. Uh, Notre Dame. One thing I did like is there was a little bit more downhill again, you know, as far as as the zones kind of trying to get downhill a little quicker against USC instead of some of the slower developing like powers and counters, they still ran that stuff and ran that stuff effectively, but a little bit of a better blend of that stuff. I felt, coming into the out of this game than, than we had seen before. I'll kind of finish breaking down the numbers. I'll have that hopefully up later tonight or tomorrow morning on the board. That'll that'll show a little bit of a deeper dive into that. But, uh, you know, those are the different things. Timing, getting everybody on the same page. Because the thing that we've noticed breaking the games down is it's not that they're just getting their butts kicked across the board every play. It's just, okay, three guys did their job on this one. Four guys did their job on this one. Um, four different guys did their job on that one. And there's always like that one or two players that, and it's different every time that just aren't executing. And, you know, one week the guards play well and the center plays well and the, and the tackles play poorly. The next week it's the, the tackles play well and the guards and centers don't play well. Got to get everybody on the same page where you're kind of moving together as one. And that's what's missing from the O-line. It's It's not a talent thing. I've expressed my issues. I would, if I was Notre Dame, I'd spend the bye week ramping up Billy Shrouth's reps. That's what I would do. I don't have a lot of faith that they'll do it. Uh, but whatever it is you're going to do, you need to make sure everybody's moving in the same direction. And, and uh, that's going to be a key. So self-scouting, seeing what works for you pass game-wise, seeing what doesn't work. And then the last thing to uh, to answer your question is, I would I would I believe this is the perfect time to come up with some wrinkles. Say, okay, here's how teams are defending us. Here's what we're running a lot of. And so, for example, Notre Dame runs a lot of mesh. They run a lot of quick option routes, a lot of a, a lot of you know hitch routes and things along those lines. And so one thing that the staff's gonna have to look at is you know, teams are sitting on these type of things. And so uh, we're running these crossing routes out of three by one, backside safeties are just watching it, driving on it. So what can we do? in the past game wise to take advantage of that. You know, what are some concepts we can run? Maybe we bring it over from the other side. Maybe we try to bang a post over top of it or something along those lines. What are some things you can do? Teams are sitting on your option routes and your quick routes. So, you know, maybe like a quick nod and go type of situation against man coverage or, or, or man free where you can maybe get something going, you know, more pivot route type of things and then work on, okay, how can we, how can we teach our guys to win at the top of this route and and just some so some wrinkles off of what you're doing that teams are defending 
and the hope being that you can get some big plays out of those because they've got to bring the big play aspect back to the pass game. And that was one thing that was good to see at least a little bit of against USC. They didn't do it much, but when they did, it was it was impactful. They only threw the ball downfield a, a couple times in the game, I think maybe like maybe three or four attempts, period. And and so it, they, they weren't super aggressive throwing the ball down the field. I'm trying to think you had – the shot to to Chris Tyree, you had the shot to uh, Rico Flores that both got completed, and, and I'm trying to think of a couple other down-the-field shots that they took. Uh, you had the corner route to Mitchell Evans that got broken up. You didn't take a lot of shots, but when you did and you hit them, they were impactful. You know, the 50, you get the ball at the 50-yard line, and you've got to put one in the end zone and put some distance between you and USC, and boom. You know, Rico Flores gets open against cover two. Sam Hartman reads it, gets the ball out to him quickly. 24 yards, you're you're cooking now. You know, USC scores to make it 31-20. You've got to answer offensive. You've got to answer. There was still way too much time in that game to only be up 11. And you go down the field, take a shot down the field after four. You ran four out of five times. You had a little quick route to Mitchell Evans to move the chains on second and seven, then boom, post route. And you could tell the way that, that Sam Hartman read that play and the way that Notre Dame set it up. They saw something from USC. That safety is going to jump number three, and so let's throw a post behind it. It's great, great play call. I'll break it down a little bit tonight. And so they took some shots, but not not a lot. And hopefully they'll be able to ramp that up a little bit this week too. It's find ways to get the ball down the field because teams are basically daring you to throw the ball outside right now, and Notre Dame is not doing it. So those are those are different aspects of what of what I want to see from from this offense this week. How much of that they'll do? It's a good question. Tyler Evans with a super chat. Thank you, Tyler, very much for that. Out of the three interceptions, which one was your favorite and why? Well, the the first one was my favorite because I think it set the tone, Tyler. And, and you know, look, you're coming into that game. Your team is reeling. Your, your backs are against the wall. You're playing this big time offense. It's a primetime game. You had, you know, Fox noon kickoff was there. It was a big atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. And, and if USC comes out and just doot, doot, doot right down the field, punches one in the end zone, who knows how that game turns out? You know, maybe that just heads go down and guys are struggling and then the offense can't go down and answer. And all of a sudden it's, it's, we're, we're back to Louisville again. You know, don't know if that's how the game would have played out because you made that big play. And that was a big part of it to me. Once you made that big play, it, it and this is kind of like what Ryan and I talked about on Saturday, although the defense started it or on Thursday about the game is that fast start, the importance of the fast start because you needed confidence. Well, the way that Notre Dame started was even beyond my wildest dreams because we thought that the offense needs to go down there and get a touchdown and and get some momentum. But the defense then gave the offense some confidence by giving them the short field, the offense rewards them with, you know, putting it in the end zone and all of a sudden seven, nothing. And, and it just, it set the tone for what was going to happen the rest of the day. Uh, and the other thing I liked about that play is that's the one where the guy was actually open. If Sam Hartman's able to put it on or Sam Hartman, if Caleb Williams is able to put it on the tight end, he catches it. Xavier tackles him for, you know, 10, maybe 10 yard gain guy was open, but the pressure Javante Jean-Baptiste, I think is who put the pressure on forced him to kind of, kind of go sidearm and, and lob it and then Xavier picks it so it just it was one of those things where I, I think that got in his head immediately this is a kid that doesn't throw a lot of interceptions he just doesn't 
And to get him that early and to punch the ball in the end zone that early, I, I said during the week, I, I this USC team is good, but they're, they 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 kind of they were a team that that hadn't been tested. And the fact that they were able to go in there and and make those plays on him and get that team kind of on their heels was huge. The second one was obviously big too. I mean, that was great. Set up a touchdown. I love the pressure on that. The third one was, a, I mean, a, a backbreaker uh, for USC because Notre Dame was able to punch it in. Those those were huge. Those were important. Those were all big parts of the game. But that first one for me, Tyler, is what does it for me just because of the, the fact that it was such a tone setter uh, for them in this game. And, and it's that fast start we always talk about. And it both sides of the ball. We're able to, to 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 contribute to that, and it and I think it played a big role in how the game turned out. Doesn't mean Notre Dame wouldn't have won otherwise, but I think that played a huge role, huge role, in how this game played out. Next question from Christopher Galloway: Can Braylon uh, James play the last four games and keep his red shirt? No, he cannot. So Braylon has played in two games so far this season. I'm going to check on that just to be sure, but I'm pretty sure that Braylon has played in two games so far. Uh, yes, Braylon has played in two games so far, and he played against Tennessee State and Central Michigan. So he played five snaps against Tennessee State and uh, six against Central Michigan. So there's a chance he can play in two more games. If if Notre Dame cares about keeping his red shirt, and, and, and I don't, I don't really care about keeping the red shirt on a wide receiver, um, but – if they want to keep his red shirt, his red shirt, it might be smart for them to only play him once more in the regular season. And that way you can save him for the bowl game just in case something happens. Injuries, portal, all that stuff. So um, I don't love that you have to think about that, but that's the reality of football today is you've got to think about those things because you'd hate to play him against – Say Pitt and Wake Forest, and you blow those two because you blow those two teams out. I, I hope that they do, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a, a another rash of hamstring injuries, or somebody goes in the portal, or whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden you've got to play Braylon, and he loses his redshirt, or you decide not to play him, and now you're shorthanded for a, a must-win bowl game. So, if they care about that, then I wouldn't play him. Uh, in more than one game if they don't care about that then just play them and if you blow four teams out and you play them four games i don't care that's what i would like to see them do and and the bye week hopefully is a good period for them to work with some of those younger guys that aren't playing a ton you know get some get eli raritan spend some time getting eli raritan back in sync you know with, with the the first team offense since he's playing now you know really work on hey how can we utilize him in the pass game now as, as a you know complimentary weapon maybe you can steal a big play with him you know, let's let's really work on getting Faison going. Let's work on getting Jordan Greathouse more comfortable in these outside, you know, roles. Let's work on maybe getting Braylon James some extra reps just during the bye week just to see how he responds and answers the bell. And if Braylon responds appropriately, then then you play him. If he doesn't respond well then and he's just not ready, then you don't play him. I mean, it's as simple as that. So I would like to see some of that during the bye week. And a lot of times teams will do that, especially like later in the week. Uh, well, actually, you could do it one of two ways. You could give it early in the week, maybe the first day of – you know, first day or two, you you may do some of that. And then as you get later in the week, you play your younger guys. I, I kind of like the idea of getting out there on Monday and Tuesday with my veterans, work out some of the stuff from the game, make some of the adjustments you need to make. And then maybe Wednesday, Thursday, 
maybe ramp tamp down their reps and ramp up the reps because you don't really need to do scout team this week a ton i do a little bit on the first couple days but you know i'd 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 have the wednesday thursday practice have a lot of team periods where i'm going younger guys i'm hey kenny minchie let's get you some reps hey steve angeli let's get you some reps uh and and um see what those kids can do you never know because sometimes i'm like man this this guy this guy's making some plays when we get in these team settings he's making some plays and then maybe you have a guy that you can put into a depth situation like let, let's get bubakar some reps this week see what he can do and see if he can can do what he did on that on his two snaps on saturday on a, with a higher volume all that type of stuff is what i'd be what i'd like to see during this week not just with braylon but with the, the group as a whole I have a question from God Country, Notre Dame, and Barbecue. The question is not to bring up a competitor, but former Notre Dame player Mike Goolsby compares Jordan Faison to Golden Tate. What are your thoughts? Height-wise, I understand it. And foot quickness-wise, I understand it. Golden was a very sudden athlete. He could change directions quickly and immediately and not look like he was setting it up. And I think Jordan Faison has some of that to his game as well. That's about it. Honestly, when I look at golden, I see a guy that's, it's more powerfully built. Golden was actually built more like a running back than a wide receiver. Uh, Jordan's a little bit thinner, leaner. He doesn't have the same power as a runner that golden had. Golden was very hard to tackle in space because he was a really thick kid. Uh, Jordan is to me right now more of a get him on the run kind of guy, get him in space, let him catch crossers, let him catch overs, let him catch those type of routes, get him reversed as we saw this weekend. I was finally glad, I was glad to finally see a reverse. I don't know that Jordan is a guy that's going to be the contested catch guy that Golden was. That was because Golden was very unique in that regard for his size. I mean, you don't see a lot of guys that are 5'10 that can win the one-on-one contested type of throws that Golden had. He was a freak in that regard in, in college. And so I also don't see Jordan Faison being the volume player that Golden was. I mean, you know, Golden was the guy that caught, what, 90, 94 passes, something like that as a junior, when, and, and just really stepped up and, and took a big volume role when Michael Floyd went down that season. And so I don't see Jordan Faison being that type of player. Uh, Golden was also a guy that could play outside as a legit outside player at Notre Dame. Uh, Jordan Faison can play outside in, 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 in certain looks, but he's primarily 93 catches, by the way. I was one off on that. But, uh, you know, I, I just think how you use him is going to be a little bit different. Be like, look, let's look at the numbers. Like Michigan in, in 2009, Golden had 9, 7, 5, 9, 8, 11, 4, 9, 9, 9, 10 were his catch numbers. And a lot of that, I mean, there were some screens and things, but he was catching balls down the field over the middle in ways that you would more throw to a, a, a guy that was more of a bigger every down type of player. And that that's not what Jordan Faison is. So there are some things that are similarities that could make me say, yeah, I get that. I, I can see that. I don't think it's, it's certainly not outlandish to 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 say, okay, yeah, I understand where he's coming from. I just think their games are are a lot different. I think Golden gets lumped into sort of a certain type of receiver because of his size, lack of his height wise. But I think he played much more like an outside guy. Jordan is more of a true a true spread slot type of guy to me. Is is more how his game is compared. So I, I don't I don't hate that comparison. I would I would just. You know, I'd I'd probably compare him if you're looking for a Notre Dame receiver to compare him to. 
he's got a lot of Amir Carlisle in his game. You know, I, I think Amir was another guy that was real shifty and, you know, had good speed, but not like a true burner. I think Jordan Faison's fast, but he's not like a, he's not in like the same Chris Tyree level of speed as far as like pure track time, plenty fast. And, and so was Amir and, and how you used him. And, you know, Amir was catching slant screens, crossers, things like that. I think Amir Carlisle would probably be my, my ideal comparison. If you're, if you're looking to have a Notre Dame guy to be that comparison, if that's like what you're really looking for, that would be a good comparison. And, and even more so than like a Chris Fink, who was another slot guy that Notre Dame had. I mean, there's some, there's some, some, some similarities there size wise, but like Chris Fink to me was more of a downfield route runner type of guy. He wasn't the, you got to get this guy, the football type of guy that a, a player like Jordan Faison can be uh, in, in time. So, I think Amir is probably the the best the best example I can think of, and, and Amir was a good football player. I mean, I, I think I'll say this: I, you know, Amir's a guy that was making the transition to receiver after playing running back his first couple of years. I mean, he played running back at USC in 2011. He started off as a running back at Notre Dame in 2013. So it wasn't until his senior season of college, uh, 2014, that he started playing wide receiver caught 23 balls that year, came out as a fifth-year guy in 2015, caught 31 as part of that receiving core. Jordan Faison's beyond where Amir was from that regard, where he is a wide receiver. He played it in high school. You know, he's obviously got a lot more natural route runner than Amir was. But athletically, body type, usage-wise, I think that's a very fair comparison. Would be more so Amir Carlisle than than Golden Tate, for just for me. Call me Ty asks if Xavier Watts doesn't come back next year, what do you think Notre Dame does about safety? If Xavier, man, I hope that I hope we don't have to find out what Notre Dame would do in that regard. That would be um that would be bad, in my opinion. That would be that would be scary. Here's what they're gonna have to do. Number one, you're gonna have to get uh, you're going to have to spend the entire offseason making sure that Antonio Carter and Ben Minnick and Adon Schuler are ready to play. That That's number one. You've got to coach them up. There's some talent there to work with. I really like what I've seen from Adon Schuler. I know the coaches were really high on Ben Minnick before the injuries, and Antonio Carter is still in the process of making that transition. Get those guys ready to play. You're, you're going to have to bring back Ramon Henderson at that point in time, so you've got to figure out ways to get more out of him. There's two other things you need to do after that. Number one, because I don't I don't know that a lot of the freshmen are going to be ready to play right away, guys. I don't know that Dapron Benny Powell's game right now is suited for what Notre Dame would need from a safety, excuse me, a safety next year. I I I, I haven't seen Kennedy Erlach or senior film yet, to be honest with you, so I can't speak on him. But from what he was as a junior, he's probably a guy that needs a year to really get comfortable at safety before making that rotation. You know, Bronte Johnson athletically can certainly play as a freshman, but and he's got to get stronger, and and he's battling a shoulder injury right now, and, and he's still more of an athlete than he is a pure safety. So you don't know that you can depend on those guys immediately. Now, if they step up and play, great, they step up and play. But you're going to have to do one. You know, you have to do two things. They're going to have to number one, you got to look at your cornerback position, and you've got to say, okay, you got Benjamin Morrison coming back, you've got Jaden Mickey coming back, you've got Chance Tucker, you've got Ryan Barnes, you've got Christian Gray, and you got Mike Bell. And you're also bringing in Leonard Moore and Carson Hobbs. 
So you look at your cornerback position, even after losing Cam Hart, who's been brilliant this year, you're still going to be really deep at, at corner. You're going to have to f- figure out which of those guys can move to safety and play. You have to. You have to. Now, that doesn't mean that, that they automatically go and start. No, I'm not saying that. Um, one guy that I would absolutely, absolutely move to safety, and I've said this a bunch, is Clarence Lewis. If Xavier leaves, it's almost a must. You got to, as a fifth year senior, you've got to move him to safety, in my opinion. You're going to have to. And, and then you're going to have to look at the portal and see if there's any guys out there that can help you. And I don't know that there will be. I, I really don't. The safety portal options this year weren't great. And the guys that were pretty good players were not going to give Notre Dame the time of day. So it's going to be tough, but you're going to have to look at the portal. And, and, and Notre Dame's going to have to be very picky with the portal and just talking to some people with the numbers of, of the heavy numbers of guys they're bringing in mid year with the, the, uh, the high school kids, they're going to be very limited on the number of mid year portal guys they can bring in. It's going to be a small number. And so you're probably gonna have to go with the Antonio Carter route, which uh, bringing a guy in after the spring or in and into the summer, which is not ideal. If you're looking to bring in a guy that's going to play a bunch, because there's got to be that adjustment um, from, from one, from one system to the other. And that's uh, those are kind of my concerns, to be honest with you. I just, that's a position right now that I'm, uh, I'm probably the most concerned about heading into the season, to be honest with you is, or next season, kind of looking forward to next season. Cause no name's going to be young in a lot of spots and the tap, but the talent level is going to be really good. And so it's like, hey, how quickly after that AM game can you get the young talent up to speed? Safety is the position that if Ray, if, if Xavier Watts comes back, they're fine. They're good. If he leaves, it could get really tricky. Really, really tricky. So we'll see. We'll see kind of how it plays out. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The fall season is incredibly busy for me, which makes it hard to spend the time needed to make healthy meals and live a healthy life. If you have the same problem, you'll want to try Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. I've had Factor meals, and I'm going to continue buying from them, especially with a special discount for Irish Breakdown listeners. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and prepping and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back to crushing your goals. You can choose from 35 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals to promote a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all ready to eat in two minutes. Head to factormeals.com irish50 and use code irish50 to get 50% off. That's irish50 at factormeals.com irish50 to get 50% off. I've tried it. I'm sticking with them. 
You should try to. Next question is from Brian Reitz. Brian asks, what changes do you think Notre Dame can implement on the formations on offense so it's not so obvious what they are going to run? I don't think that it's necessarily obvious what they're going to run. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I thought the Duke game was the one time it was very obvious what they were going to run. Louisville game, they were a little predictable on what they ran, but they didn't run it out of the same stuff every time. I, I, I don't know that I would – I mean, Brian, I'm going to dive into this stuff during the bye week as well. I don't think it's so obvious that no, what no one's going to run per se. It's just more about you've you've got some heavier run versus pass tendencies out of certain looks, and you're just not doing enough to get defenses guessing. So when we talked about last week, and I know Jesse did a breakdown of this on, on, on one of the night shows as well, when you're not doing a lot of movement pre-snap, they may not know what you're going to run, but they have an idea of who can do what, and they can get their calls and get their their things lined up. They know what protections you run, and they can attack it that way. It's not so much they know, hey, power's coming, but there was a two-week period where we saw a little bit of that. I thought Notre Dame did a decent job of mixing that stuff up on Saturday. We saw some motions and shifts and some different things, which I thought was good. Saw Faison going in motion. Saw Tyree going in motion a little bit. So it's just build on that. Brian is really the the big thing, and and so when it but when it comes to your specific question, if I grant the premise, what you basically have to do is this part of self scouting is like when we line up in this formation, we run this play a ton, and we don't run it any other time. Okay, well we're going to still run that play out of that formation because we need that look. So like, hey, we can't run this particular heavy counter or heavy power without getting that extra hat backside. So when we run that play a lot out of this look, it, it it's, you know, so you either line up that way or you motion a guy to it. Either way, it's a tell for the defense. Okay, we don't stop running that play. And so, Brian, so what you look at is you say, okay, well, we're, we, we do this a lot out of this formation. They're going to be prepared for it. So instead of saying, scrap it, you do two things. One is you see if there's other ways you can run that play. But the other thing is, okay, if if the, what can we anticipate defenses are going to do? Well, Pitt lines up like this. They play defense this way. This is most likely how what answers they're going to have for this. So then you have something where you're going to try to catch them. So, hey, you know, and, and last couple teams we've played, when we go the short edge, they crash off of that. That kind of leads into what Pitt does. So we're going to have this bootleg. We're going to have this reverse. We're going to have this play action. We're going to have this motion off of it or, or is what you're doing. Then the other way is how are different ways we can get into it? And that's why the motions and shifts are so important because you can line up one way, they think you're going to be that way, and then boom, you do a quick motion and a quick you know quick shift and then a quick jet motion, and all of a sudden you've messed up their numbers count, and and they're not quite sure what's coming. They may stop it a couple times, but that one time you catch them on their heels and they're not, you know, they're not quite ready, don't quite have their call in or their their adjustments in, then boom, you run that sucker, block it up, and you're 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 you know you're on your way. So those are some different things you do, and that's what that's what bye weeks to me are really good for. A lot of people say, you know, by week we can run a bunch of extra stuff and we have extra time studying the opponent. And that's fine. Your analysts can do that. And there's going to be something to that. But I believe the teams that do the best job during the bye week are the teams that break themselves down and and say, you know, what are we good at? What are we not good at? Maybe you scrap a couple things. Maybe you add some wrinkles to what we do. Like, hey, we're really good at this, but we we didn't anticipate being really good at this. And so we've got to add some wrinkles off of that so we can make this more of a bread and butter thing for us because if you're going to do something bread and butter, you've got to have counters off of it. 
whether it be different run looks off of it. So, hey, we, we line up like this and we run this real predominantly. So what's something we can run away from that to counter them, the fact that they're going to play that? Um, what are some things we can do pass game-wise to protect our run game tendencies? What are some things we can do run game-wise to protect some of our pass game tendencies? You know, we run tunnel a lot. Teams are prepared for that. Let's find ways that we can maybe take advantage of that and like you did against Louisville, and then it's time don't commit a penalty. So I think it's about complementing those things more so than, than – and then that breaks those tendencies, right? So like, hey, you know, Notre Dame came out and hit a 50-yard touchdown because we overplayed this, and they broke a tendency, and they beat us for a big touchdown, and now we've got to play it safer. I think those are parts of, of what you're going to see this week from, from the, um, the Notre Dame offense, or at least what I hope from the Notre Dame offense and defense. So we have a question from how to, uh, from God Country, Notre Dame, and Barbecue. He asks, how does Marcus Freeman see the signs of the Louisville game coming? And once he sees the signs, how does he prevent it? That is a great question. And the answer is, it's hard to prevent it because it doesn't always come the same way. And, and what I mean by that is this. There have been, I'll give you some of my experience. There have been times when we have had great, great weeks of practice. For whatever reason, our team shows up flat on Saturday. And there have been times when we'd have bad weeks of practice, just the ball hitting the ground, being sloppy, all that kind of stuff. And we go out there on Saturday and just roll. So it can be hard sometimes, but there are some signs you can look for. You've, you've got to have coaches that are really in tune with their players. You've got to have good communication early in the week about things that you might be seeing. And you've got to say, hey, look, you know, and the, and the staff kind of did this. They said, you know, look, they backed off some of the stuff against Louisville because they thought they were worn down. And maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe the fact that you backed off in for all the right reasons is why your team wasn't as locked in because you got them out of their routine. And football players are creatures of habit big time. And so you may say, hey, look, we've got to do a better job of saying, hey, when you get in those type of weeks, we don't back off how we go about attacking teams. We don't go about our practice schedule. We're going to still be in pads. We're going to still do this. We're going to still do that. But what we'll do differently is maybe instead of a 70-30, ones versus twos split of reps, we'll do a 60-40. Or, you know, maybe on Wednesday, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe on Monday or Tuesday, We'll do a 50-50 type of thing or a 60-40 type of thing and then maybe ramp it up on as the week goes on or vice versa. We'll have an early Monday, Tuesday, get the base offense in, but then maybe on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, we we mix up those reps a little bit between the ones and the twos just to take a little bit of pounding off of them. Be more cognizant of, okay, what do we need to do with the training staff post-practice? Hey, look, I, I can't back off these guys right now. we got a big game coming up. we got to get to, we got to get these next two weeks. I can't just not go. And so what can we do from a recovery standpoint this week to, to help with this? So there's those type of things where, you you, you know, you see those signs because you see guys dragging, you know, maybe see the, the heads are going down, the confidence isn't there. You don't still have that. You don't have that same pep in your step that maybe you did the, the heading into the Ohio State week. Those are all things you need to see. And then, you you know, maybe you need to ramp up the mental reps, whatever the case may be. And I think another thing, too, is when you see those guys kind of getting to that point in time, you've got to have a you've got to have a laser focus as a coach and say, hey, listen. This week, 
I can't be crushing these guys for every little mistake. And meaning when I mean crushing them is just like, you know, I'm an, I'm an emotional, energetic, loud coach. That's how I was. And there's got to be weeks where you got to say, hey, look, I'm not taking a step back from the attention to detail. I'm going to still be every bit as demanding. But maybe this week when a guy makes a mistake, instead of yelling at him across the field, which you're not doing to punish him, you're doing – and I've always said this to my receivers – I'm yelling at you so that you can hear me, but also so the rest of the offensive, the rest of the receivers can hear me so that I don't have to tell them something, you something, and then go tell all them something. But maybe there's a week where my guys are, are, are worn down and mentally worn down. And I can say, listen, come here. Okay, listen, here's what I need you to do. This is what, you know, and so it's a little bit more, I'm still demanding the same level of excellence from them, but I'm just trying to maybe take down the energy level a little bit. And in some weeks it, it's going to be the exact opposite. Like, man, we got to ramp this up a little bit because we are just not, we do not have the same focus level or energy level. And so it's just about knowing your team and, and seeing the warning signs and then just powering through it. I think that's a big thing, but the, it, it, it sometimes the danger can be when you get them out of routine in an attempt to protect them, which Coach Freeman admitted he did. They they did scale back some of the, the stuff the week of the Louisville game. That can have a negative impact in their focus and their energy level and those type of things. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying it can. And you just have to be aware of that. But the, here's the other thing, too. This is part of that experience. Because as a, I don't care how experienced you are as a coach. When you're at a new program, you've been a coach somewhere 15 years, you take over a new program. It's a different culture. It's a different, I'm not talking about like your program culture. I'm talking about the school. It's a different culture. It's players that, that, that are still learning who you are. You're still learning them. And then you have the personnel losses Notre Dame had last year, which weren't significant to the, from a volume standpoint, but they were you know, some of your veterans and your leaders. You don't always know how a team is going to react. The longer you're at a place, the longer the roster is shaped by guys that you went out and picked and they have the attitudes and the things that you want. And this isn't an us versus them thing. It's just, it, 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 it sounds like it, but I promise you it's not. It's not like the older guys suck and wait till the younger guys come in. It just means it's more about I haven't been with you for four years. I've been with you for a year. I'm still learning what makes you tick. I'm in year two. I got a little bit better idea, but now we're facing different circumstances than we faced last year. And I'm not sure how you're going to respond and you're not sure how I'm going to respond. So part of that is just experience. Just the longer you do it, the more you realize what works, the more that Marcus Freeman goes through midterms weeks, midterm weeks at Notre Dame, the more he'll say, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work in future years. And then tailor that to the unique needs and demands of that particular team. So I think all of those things factor into it, but just the experience thing is, is a big part of it. It's just knowing, because now let's, let's just say Marcus Freeman sitting in the mirror say, you know what, this is on me. I should not have, I should not have pulled back last week. Shouldn't have. Um, and so I won't make that mistake again. Okay. But you now have to have a plan that if you're not going to pull back, how are you going to help them recover? So they don't wear down. If you have an eight, an eight week, um, you know, type of situation. Cause when you look at next year's schedule, for example, let me just pull up the Notre Dame, 2024 football schedule right now Notre Dame is slated to play uh, Texas A&M on August 31st and for right now they have five games scheduled over those next two weeks there's currently a bye between September 28th and October 12th there's also a bye between uh, November 16th and November 30th 
in one of those two areas, Notre Dame's going to have to find a game. And so if you look at and there's also a buy between October 22nd and November 9th. So right now, the way the schedule sets out, there's three open dates, depending on when they fit a team into that schedule. So if they fit a buy, if they fit an, um, a game into that, that should be October 5th. If they, if the only way they can get the schedule finished to get to 12 is to find a game in that October 5th window, then Notre Dame's going to be in a situation again where you're not going to get a buy until November 2nd. Now, hopefully, they put a they put a game in in you know later in the year. It would be ideal, and then you can have that week five or week six buy, but it's not a given. And so there may be years where you're going to have a similar eight game stretch, and you've got to have a bet. You've got to have a better understanding of how to handle that. So again, all comes from experience, and you don't really know how you're going to handle the situation until you you go through it. Because every coach says, "Well, not." I promise you, I did that as a coach too. When I'm a head coach, I'm going to handle it this way. And then you become a head coach. And some of the things that you felt that on, spot on. And this is why I'm successful. But in other times, you're going to be like, all right, that didn't work. And now I understand why the head coach did it the way he did it. <laughs> you know, and those are part of the lessons that you learn being a head coach is like, yeah, I thought this would be would work. And then as a head coach and you realize you got a whole team to worry about and you realize, yeah. Yeah, I didn't go how I went. And then you learn and you adjust and you do it differently or, or better the next time. And that's that's all part of it. Pete Weber with a question says, based on personnel changes and production we've seen over the past few weeks, what changes do you expect in regards to playing time as we come out of the bye week? It, it, my answer is similar to the one I had earlier about adjustments. I, I don't know, Pete. I don't know what they're going to do. My guess would be we're going to see a a running back room that looks a little different in how it's broken up. Marcus Freeman talked about this. This is my guess is based on what Marcus Freeman said. It's going to consolidate a little bit more around love and 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 estimate. My hope is that the kick return from Jadarian Price against USC says, hey, we also have to figure out more ways to get this kid to football. I believe we'll see a, a receiver rotation that is a little bit more solidified, however that is. And at this point in time, I have my opinions on who needs to play more and who needs to get the ball more. That's not even That doesn't even matter right now. If you guys disagree with me, Notre Dame staff, that's fine. But whoever is in your rotation, those guys need to play more and and and, ha- and, and get into more of a rhythm because you can't keep doing this non-stop rotation that you did and if they do that I, I think they'll be able to find some answers I, I do I think they'll be able to find some answers that way and just whoever you've decided is your guys that you need to build around you know I I, I may disagree with it I may not like it but the fact of the matter is is they need to figure it out and roll with it and if they do that then I you know I, I think they'll be okay and getting healthy is going to help with that too. I mean, Jaden Thomas played six snaps on Saturday. He didn't play only six snaps. This is corner pro football focus. He didn't only play six snaps because they didn't want to play him and he stinks and he's not playing a lot. It's because he's injured. And so this hopefully is a great week to get him healthy and get him back. But what are you going to do with him? Yeah, I, I like some of the things that Jaden Greathouse is doing over here. And maybe, maybe we need to have Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Greathouse be over there. I don't know what Deion Coles is. One of the questions was, is Deion Coles going to be back for the pick, back for the pick game? I don't know. I have no idea. 
Um, I'm not optimistic about it, but if he is, okay, now what, what do you do with Jaden Thomas? I mean, if you got Dion and, and Jaden Greathouse kind of rotating into that boundary position, now maybe you can do some different things with, with Jaden Thomas. And so I, I, and I, and there are some things you can do with Chris Tyree outside, not as a full-time role, but there are certainly some things you can do uh, to use him, especially if you can get a couple more big plays out of him and teams start focusing on him more. I'm, I'm telling you, if Notre Dame is willing to do more things to get Chris Tyree the football, you're going to see teams overreact to it because for all the all the hate he gets, and it it does seem like hate. It's not just I don't think he can play, but it's just this weird thing that some fans have with Chris Tyree. Here, here's some facts about Chris Tyree. Number one, he's second on the team in catches. He's second on the team in receiving yards, and he's only a catch behind Mitchell Evans in receiving yards. That's it. So – he, he's been productive. He's number two. He's tied for second on the team in receiving touchdowns. And he's been a big play guy. He's averaging 22.2 yards per catch. So the fact of the matter is the guy's been productive. He's got one drop on the year. I think you could maybe count last week's drop as a second, although I don't think that was a very good ball from Sam Hartman. But Chris Tyree has done so. So I mentioned earlier that Chris Tyree is one catch behind he's eight catches behind Mitchell Evans and he's only one yard behind Mitchell Evans in total yards but Mitchell Evans on the season according to pro football focus has 13 more targets than Chris Tyree Chris Tyree has 11 fewer targets than Rico Flores but he has more catches than Rico Flores by one and he's got about 170 77 if I'm doing the math correctly about 177 more receiving yards on 11 fewer targets than Rico Flores on the season. He's got uh, one fewer target than Jaden Thomas right now, uh, who's, again, been out, but still has uh, more catches and about 127 more yards than Jaden Thomas. So he's been a big play weapon. There's got to be more ways you can get him the ball. He's starting to look more comfortable at wide receiver. And and it's not even about getting him the ball a lot more that just impacts him. It's about if you can do more things with him, it protects the run game. It protects that. And that is why I kind of like seeing Jordan Faison out there getting that reverse because at least you're doing that. So now if you're doing Jordan Faison in motion, there's still that threat of, you know, this, this guy can get the ball. But let's be honest. No matter what we as Notre Dame fans think of Jordan Faison or Chris Tyree, you guys have to be willing to admit that Chris Tyree is a much more known commodity to opponents this is a guy that's got two 90 plus yard touchdowns under his belt in his career he's a guy that for, he was a big time recruit two 90 yard touchdowns under his belt he's got a 70 yard touchdown under his belt he's got multiple 50 yard touchdowns under his belt and he just had a a, a back-breaking 46 yard touchdown against usc where he beat usc starting nickel and he didn't even run a very good route he just went boop boop he's just faster than that guy so the more things like that happen the more teams have to start paying attention to him, which then helps out other people. And so using him and Jordan Faison also in ways to influence the defense with what they can do with the ball in their hands, but also then what that impacts teams on how they impact it is another thing you can do to, to, to get your offense going. There's things you can do pass game wise. If I run this action. So like I'd love to see Notre Dame with Chris Tyree kind of have him go in motion and do just a really quick wrap around and just throw him a bubble screen and see if he can make a play and if he can't he can't but if you break that all of a sudden the next time you do that you fake to him and you've got something backside or you can pump and go there's all types of different things that you can do you can run inside because those linebackers are running out 
perfect example is this, and it's a little bit different, but but you'll understand the point that I'm making on this. Do you remember in when they played USC in 2017? Notre Dame had uh, one of the the big plays in that game. They had many. Was the 80? I think it was an 84 yard touchdown run for Josh Adams against USC. And two things happened on that play. Number one is Alex Bars had a great block. I mean, it was a phenomenal block. I talked about it last week. But number two is you saw like three guys go running outside on Brandon Wimbush. So Brandon hands the inside zone off to, to, to Josh, and he starts running outside like it's a read zone. Well, he had already hurt USC multiple times with his legs. They had seen on film throughout the season already that this number number seven's a weapon with his legs. So as he's running outside, three guys go with him. Now, somebody made a mistake, but that's the point. It takes one guy to screw up one time, and all of a sudden, Josh Adams is 84 yards for a touchdown. Imagine if they were doing some things, a little bit more creative pre-snap motions to get Tyree the ball, phase on the ball. And Jeremiah loved the football because there's things you can do out of 21 personnel, and that would apply there, Jadarian Price. I mean, Jadarian Price now has some big play touchdowns under his belt. And teams have seen this kid's got some speed too. So let's say there's some things you do with him or Jeremiah. Love. It, it's not just about Tyree, but it's about this. The more things you do like that, all of a sudden it takes one time that you're running this little swing action where you're selling the heck out of, or maybe you have Chris Tyree and Jeremiah Love in the backfield together. And instead of doing a motion, you have Jeremiah Love here. You have Chris Tyree here. You run it. You do a zone read to Chris or a zone action to Jeremiah Love. Chris Tyree's running around on the swing. You throw him a swing. That overhang defender bites down on the run action, and all of a sudden Chris Tyree catches the swing, and he is gone because you've got an outside block, and boom, he's up the sideline. Well, the next time you do that, what's that outside hang defender going to do? I got, I'm got. i watching number, number four now, and then all of a sudden that's the one you give to Jeremiah Love, and that guy doesn't close fast enough to get to him. Now what happens? Boom, you're out of there. So those are the type of things where – where now that you know who your personnel is, you know what Chris Tyree is as a receiver, and you know what he's not. And I would love to see Notre Dame bring Chris Tyree back next year because I think as he gets another full offseason to learn the position, he's going to be even better. But here's the facts of the matter. Chris Tyree is a, has 16 catches for over 355 yards. He's averaging 22.2 yards per play, and he's got three touchdowns. And his touchdowns have been gains of 75, 46, I think like 26, 25, 26. They've been big plays. And so how do we utilize that to, number one, still get big plays from him, but then to maybe influence some other things? Now the teams are king on Jeremiah Love. His example, a buddy says to me, he goes, I, they should have had Jeremiah Love in the game more. He needs to be taking touches away from Jabron Payne. It's like, well, you know, Jabron's kind of a third down guy. And he's like, yeah, but on third down, I want Jeremiah Love getting the ball. I said, okay, let me let me give you this example. On that third down touchdown pass in the first drive, they didn't cover Jabron Payne. It was a great call. I mean, they, they ran a screen. They leaked Jabron Payne out. The play was designed to go to Jabron Payne, get in the football. And you're like, of all the weapons on your offense, why are you designing plays for Jabron Payne? Well, he's a good player. But number two, that's what the defense is thinking. Well, um, in that situation, of all the guys in the field, is Jabron Payne in your top two or three of guys you're worried about on that third down call? No, it's not, which is what made it a great call. You used him to, you know, hey, this guy's in the field, and so they're going to be focusing on this guy, so let me get this guy to football. If Jeremiah Love is in there at running back, 
That play may not work. Why? Because they're going to key on Jeremiah Love. Well, there's some things now on the flip side of this that you can have Jeremiah Love in the game and do things and then set up something else. And then on top of doing more things, get him the football. So I, those are just different things to me, Pete, that I want to see personnel-wise is you figure out who you want your playmakers to be and then build more around them because there's still a little bit too much of just a hodgepodge of play calls. Even against USC, which was better than what we saw the previous two weeks, there still was just like you're just kind of calling plays to call plays. There's not enough building on each other. And then what's the one series where Notre Dame threw some wrinkles at the defense? It was the one series they had the early long uh, drive. I think it ended up being a field goal, but they ran the little tunnel to Chris Tyree. They ran the reverse to Jordan Faison. Those two plays right there got Notre Dame in scoring territory against against them. Let me pull up that series right here. So that was, yeah. So you started that drive at your own 36-yard line. You went minus one on play one. You ran an option route to Jordan Faison on number two. And then on third down, you got Tyree free for a tunnel, went for 16. Then the next play, you run a reverse that goes for 13. And then all of a sudden, just like that, you're in you're in USC territory. And it, it drive ended up stalling out for different reasons. But you know, there's a couple of nice calls there. But you start seeing some of those wrinkles. They were they were you're you're doing these things to kind of build on something else. Just need to see that more regularly. Why are we calling this play? What are we trying to attack from the defense? How are we trying to use our personnel? Uh, what's the point other than just, hey, I think we can run this play because I think it'll work in that situation. That's part of it, but it's it's it, there's got to be more method to the madness because then that tells you what you're going to do to build on that. Okay, well, if we're doing this for this and we're doing that for that, how do these things marry together? And, and you know, what can we do off of this and off of that? And, and how can we do, you know, do things to get this guy to football? What are some four or five things that I can do? This offseat, this bet this week. And this is if I'm Dylan McCullough and I'm Chancey Stuckey, I'm pounding on the table saying it for both of these guys. I'm saying it to Jared Parker. We got to do more things to get number 12 to football without taking away from number seven. All right. Okay. How do you suggest we do that? Hey, I, I we need to get number 24 of the football more. Okay. How do you suggest we do that? We only have so many snaps, so many footballs. Okay, here's how. Hey, we need to get number four of the football more. If, if Chancey Stuckey's not pounding on the table for more touches for number four in different ways, then, then he's not doing this coaching thing right. Okay, well, how do you suggest we do that? And how can we do those things together to, to influence the defense? How do they build on each other? Okay, well, if we're doing this for this guy, then what we can do off of this is this because this is how they're going to defend it, and we've got a guy that can take advantage of it. Those are all the things that I want to see. Sounds like a lot, but it's 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 really not – unmanageable in my opinion it's it's something that can certainly be done over the next the course of the next couple you know next couple weeks and next couple um because you got to think too is is there's this bye week and some stuff you can kind of get ready for for Pitt and Clemson then you got another bye week before the last two games and so and those that two game stretch is going to be a lot more manageable than this next two game stretch my hope and is that Notre Dame doesn't just say this is who we are. We're not playing any great teams. We just got to get through these next four games and win out, and then we can figure stuff out in bowl season. No, 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 no. Start figuring that stuff out now. There's going to be some things you add the next couple of weeks that maybe don't go your way and you don't like, and so you do you throw them out during the next bye week. But you need to start building on who you need to be because I'm telling you, if this offense can find their stride over the next month, 
who knows what's going to happen with where they're going to be in the postseason. But whatever their postseason destination is, if this offense can hit its stride over the next month, they're going to be dangerous for whoever they play because we know, guys, the defense is big time. It's big time. And if the offense catches fire over the final final, final month, what is that going to do for the defense? You take that pressure of we've got to shut everybody out off of that unit, this team could start getting really scary good. And that's ultimately the goal. Like, look, playoff is out. I mean, maybe like chaos ensues over the next month and a bunch of teams lose multiple games and they get back in because they've got some really good win. Maybe that happens. I'm not really spending a lot of time thinking about that. I'm not like looking at the schedule, like, you know, doing like all this crazy, like, okay, if this happens and that happens and this, look, they're they're probably not a playoff team. But what I want to see is Notre Dame finish really impressively don't just win games but really rip people up it's going to help you close on recruiting it's going to send you into the bowl season with a lot of momentum if you can win the bowl game it sends you in the next year with a lot of momentum and this program can really start rolling so it's important it's not just about let's just win these next four games and grind them out yeah you want to win the next four games but how about you put some emphasis on let's figure out who we want to be and start steering into that and if they can do that i think this team could be end up being really scary good down the stretch Really can. T Guns asks, how much of an effect do you think something like college game they can have on the home team? Probably not as much for later games. Do you think Notre Dame's record is different with game day at Notre Dame or Duke? No, I don't think. Look, it's not, Tommy, it's it. Every team is different. Some teams are are going to get caught off guard by the the hype. I think Duke fed into it really well. I think it was a motivator for Duke. I, I think their staff used that opportunity to say to the players hey guys we've got a chance to shock the world today and and then you do it in a way that doesn't build pressure i thought mike elko handled that great that step him and that staff handled that great they were ready to show everybody who they could be the notre dame wasn't quite as ready to do that and they were still feeling some of the after effects of it i I think the way that Notre Dame does it specifically, I don't think the game day stuff has much of an impact because the players aren't on campus. They're they're at a hotel. So what Notre Dame does is on, on Friday night, they, they stay in a team hotel. And so family, they see them there. They do all those types of functions together. So they're kind of away from all that. They don't really see all that. Now, they may be on their phones and seeing all that kind of stuff. But if you're doing it right, it's not really a, a, a thing. It's something you can avoid that. And there's other ways to do it right. I mean, if you're trying to avoid it and if you're doing it right and you don't want to avoid it and you want to embrace it, then there's ways to do that as well. You just got to make sure that you don't, what you can't do is, is make it seem like, Hey, we've got to do something different. You can present the opportunity. And that's what I, I feel like Duke did is they, Hey guys, we got this opportunity to show people who we are. Well, who are we? well, we're not a team that's going to do 87 gimmick things this week to do something different because we don't believe we can beat Notre Dame. No, we're going to do who we're going to show you who we are. We're going to lean into who we are and and our game plan will be steered towards stopping Notre Dame. But, you know, we're a team that's got a really good D line. So let's go show the world what we can do. We're a team that can do this. And so let's go show the world we can do. And it's almost like a challenge, like, Hey, this is your moment. This is, this is what we've been building for. Some teams don't handle that. Well, some teams do. And and so it really just comes down to how you handle it. I don't think, I don't think it inherently has a positive or negative effect um, on a team. Just inherently, I think it just depends on who your team is and 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 
what you're capable of and what your leadership is like as a team and what your leadership is like as from a coaching standpoint, and then what your plan is. And in this case, I, I think, I think Notre Dame has handled that well. I mean, they're one and one when game day's there. They're two and one on days where there's some sort of thing there because you had the, the the big noon kickoff was was in town for the USC game. And I don't think they played poorly against Ohio State. I just think they didn't execute in the key moments. I mean, but emotionally, physically, Notre Dame was ready to play. I mean, they played hard. They battled. Ohio State just made a couple more plays than they did. I mean, it was really a a really hard fought game between two teams, and I'm not going to do what like the USC fans are doing now, which is like Notre Dame didn't really beat USC. USC beat themselves. Blah 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 blah. Giving Notre Dame no credit. I don't think Notre Dame Notre Dame missed opportunities to beat Ohio State. They should have beat Ohio State. But you also have to credit Ohio State for plays they made, and they did, and Notre Dame didn't. And so that's who won the game. But I never felt like, gee, Notre Dame wasn't ready for the moment of the of the game. I thought they were. And so was Ohio State. And they made more plays. Same with Duke. I don't think Notre Dame struggled that game because of game day being there. I think it had more to do with the fact that Notre Dame was suffering from the after effects of the way that they lost Ohio State. I think that had a lot to do with it, more so than game day. So it's my it's my two cents. <laughs> We'll be right back.